Welcome, everybody, to episode four of the Fire Nuggets podcast. Today is May 23rd, and we're psyched to have Jeff Rothmeyer, El Jefe, as our guest tonight. Uh, for those listening, the goals here are pretty simple, to bring in great guests and try to mine as much gold as possible from them in about 30 to 40 minutes, short, sweet, and deep. And we're also lucky enough for the first time ever to have all three of our co-hosts here tonight. So we have Joey, Jeff, and myself, Nick. So uh, like I said, our guest tonight is Jeff Rothmeyer. He is currently on Milwaukee Fire Department on Engine 23. Prior to that, he spent uh, some time as a captain at St. Paul Fire Department in Minnesota. Total, he's been doing this for about 15 years. He's also the founder of Maneuver Fire Response. And if you haven't checked them out, please do on their website. He's a proud combat veteran. He was also the affiliate founder for Minnesota Wisconsin Fire Nuggets. He was a former member of Northland Fools and a former co-host of the Senior Man podcast. What's going on tonight, Jeff? How you doing? I'm doing excellent. Uh, thank you for thank you for having me. Very uh, humbled and uh, happy to be uh, spending some time with some fellow brothers and and talking shop. Thank you. So, uh, Jeff, uh, as another Fire Nuggets affiliate to another. Um, you know, one, it's great to meet you again over uh, over this episode and recording. And thank you for taking your time on this Sunday. Uh, it's obviously pretty apparent that you have passion and love for the job. Uh, that's why you are here. That's why you've created an affiliate for Fire Nuggets. Um, where does this love come from? Can you kind of talk a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, it's kind of interesting that I remember as a, as a child, uh, I, I used to go to a, like a, a private school. Right. And, uh, I remember day in and day out, we went, I was in a Catholic school. We went to church every day. Wasn't too exciting for me at the time. Um, I'm a man of faith now, but at the time I, I was kind of like your typical, um, I had some ADD probably, right? But I remember dreaming all the time, every day, um, about being a being a soldier and being a firefighter, and that was that was all consuming. It was really odd because uh, I didn't really have those exposures in my life. I grew up on a farm. Um, maybe I caught a movie or something. I don't know, but it was every day a passion of mine to to think about and daydream about. Eventually, I did just that. I became a soldier and I became a firefighter. Uh, it kind of came after a lot of rough patches in my life as a teenager. And I uh, started uh, not taking things for granted anymore. Um, as the years have gone by and, and I've kind of noticed uh, the morality of life more and more, I guess my gratitude has, has uh, doubled down, if you will. And uh, I'll give you one experience that really sunk at home for me and really is ever present in my mind. So when I, when I served in the military, I served with a man named Donald. And I, and I actually might talk about him again later. Uh, you know, Donald was uh, an infantryman and, you know, Donald gave his life for his country. 
And in those like rare experiences we have in life that are meaningful, uh, well, I guess I made a pact with Donald. I felt like I owed him the my effort and my respect he gave his life as a 20 year old man for us so really in any genre i do feel a sense of responsibility to live a life of meaning and to fulfill my dreams. So when I started figuring out what my dreams were, I decided to be very intentional about them because uh, Donald can't do that. And uh, honestly, there's a lot of other things that are packed into that. Um, and part of that is some of the time I wasted as a youth, but, uh, you know, some things happen in life for a reason. And, you know, I'm trying not to forget that. And I think that comes off as passion. Absolutely, Jeff. That's uh, an incredible story. Um, I think that's great for all of us. It's a reminder for all of us and everyone listening is, finding that meaning that, like you said, it, it equates to passion at the end of the day, find out, figure out what it is that drives you in the fire service. You know, I think we're a lot, a lot of people are missing that. Um, they're missing the root of what it means to be a firefighter, what it means to serve others. What, and like you said, I mean, I think many of us can relate to that in at least for me coming up in the fire service proud to say that i'm fifth generation i owe it to my family they all uh, put their lives on the line and, and dedicated their lives to the fire service and i'm just trying to continue that and, and i i owe it to them and anybody else that came before us we, we owe it to them so i just thank you for sharing that story that's um that that's pretty incredible yeah, and that's that's uh, that's so true. Like when we, you know, we're here for a reason, and I think we sometimes forget that, and I think we sometimes forget uh, who paved the way for us, and but for a few different like happenings in life, we wouldn't be here, or we would struggle a lot more to be where we're at. Um, and having that meaningful memory and sense of purpose, like you have. Uh, probably learned it from some of your family, I would imagine, too, right? So, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think it brings immense value um, when our days do come to an end. Uh, we can, we can like leave this uh, this land fulfilled. Um, so, yeah, I'm happy to be on the path with you, Joey. It's a good one. It's, yeah, man. it's a good one for sure. All right, Jeff. So as you know, not, not everybody has uh, 
passion and motivation in the fire service, either at all or, or at certain times. And, and sometimes even, even the most passionate people kind of feel like it's, uh, you know, dropping. Do you have any advice or tips for our listeners on how to stay motivated uh, throughout their career? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a, I mean, gratitude is, is literally the biggest aspect. Um, but how do you get there? How do you get to that gratitude space? Well, I think what we need to do is to do things that are meaningful and not expedient. So kind of the, piggyback off what we just kind of talked about was, you know, you can't look at every run that's a BS run as a waste of your time. And uh, you have to dig, you have to dig real deep because eventually those moments will, will keep traveling by um, and if you just go off your like gut reaction, you're probably going to leave each day unfulfilled. And, and what you put in is what you get out. So because you're not putting in and digging in to find meaning out of each day, you get out Jack. And then maybe after a career or 10 or five years, you leave this with looking to get your biggest pension, whatever you can get for your best benefit from the city that's probably you know, job and yeah. And, uh, and I, I really don't think you will leave the job being fulfilled. So just keeping that at the forefront, why did you come here? And what type of opportunity did you get? For me, I literally had tears in my eyes the day they called me and asked me to be a part of the St. Paul fire department. Honestly, I didn't think that, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't think that I had it, you know, dialed in enough to be such a servant, you know, like it's such an honor, right? So unless you view your job as an honor each day, you're probably going to start taking shortcuts in many different realms, whether that be your work or how much I'm going to shortcut how much I value the job, or I'm going to shortcut, you name it. Um, so don't forget how grateful you are were when you got the job and remember why you got, why you got on the job. Like I, I do want to actually share something that I think is really prevalent with you guys. Um, so I think a lot of firefighters and service members, police, military, whatever, I firmly believe that we, we come to these callings because we're seeking something. I think we're seeking brotherhood. I think we're seeking acceptance and I think we're seeking something greater than us because we all know that we can make more money with, with many of our skill sets. I mean, you see guys have how many different type of odds and ends um, businesses they start up on the side and they're successful and they're doing great at them, right? Um, they could probably make more money doing other things. I think if we keep our thumb on the pulse of what we're seeking, we will find, but we can't forget it. You know, at some point we let things cloud our, our sight and we forget 
what we were seeking. We're seeking purpose. Keep looking, you'll find it. I really like that answer of gratitude. Um, I'm going to have to meditate on that one a little bit. Uh, it sounds so simple, um, but I, sometimes I think I miss that. Jeff, if I had to describe you in one word, um, and I have before, uh, it would be disciplined. To me, you take discipline to another level. I've had the good fortune of spending you know, upwards of a week with you at a time working 18-hour days. And then when I go back and, and shit shower and sleep, uh, you're still working. You wake up an hour and a half before I do, so you can get a legitimate uh, workout in before all that. And then when we're eating, uh, you're having uh, you're just you're you're very disciplined when it comes to your diet, whereas I'm hitting up the ice cream trough uh, every time as well. So I've never seen, and, and I, I run in circles where people are are relatively disciplined. Uh, everyone that I try to run with is is better than I am in in so many respects. But your diet, conditioning, studying, training, thinking, uh, reading, sweating, listening, etc. Uh, discipline just just is is the overarching theme, and this. This question might be in the same wheelhouse as the last one, but how do you stay so laser focused on the mission? Well, thank you for the, yeah, thank you for the compliments, Nick. And uh, don't cut yourself too short. The, um, there's a reason why, you know, like I definitely enjoy spending time and uh, doing work with you. Um, you know, iron sharpens iron in such ways. Um, yeah, it, 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 it's all encompassing. I mean, I think what's happened in my life is, is that I have found different times where I didn't feel like I hit the mark. And for some reason, I'm very conscientious of those facts. I think sometimes it came like it came from uh, some of the experiences that maybe I had overseas where like, you know, your moral ground is shook when life and death is you know at your doorstep and or you're at your doorstep and maybe you feel like you missed the mark and if you see the results of missing the mark in that atmosphere for me and I'm I'm an emotional guy so kind of helps and hurts right like it's a huge benefit to have you know really deep emotions um, when you need the accelerant to actually get off your butt and work out, like, it's like, you will shame yourself to go work out because that emotion resonates so deeply with you. It's not so good when, uh, say you fail at something and then you won't let yourself be for, for the failure that you had, because, you know, having some grace with you, allows you to recover and recycle. Right. Um, so when I've failed my brothers, and this was something I've told myself, they, they, they haven't told me that. It's just something that I know I could, you know, when you could do better. I think we all do. And you know, like for me, I process when I feel like I've failed my brothers, I start searching my heart. Uh, where, where did the gap come in that created the result? And again, in the military, I remembered some gaps. I remembered some, uh, some grab ass with the fellas back at the armory, right? When we were supposed to be learning combat lifesaver duties. And what was my mindset right then? Well, my mindset was joking around, getting acceptance, and being one of the fellas. 
I think that's important too, guys. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that. But a few moments of that, I know it came at the expense of my focus. And that focus was needed at different times um, in some really hairy situations. And I don't feel like I, I, I don't feel like I performed to my capabilities. And I think it came at the expense of a lack of focus. So, you know, now do I, do I, uh, when I go into a, every training event and my laser focus, I try to be, you know, we're human. So we're going to, we're going to have gaps, but uh, that's where it stems from. I don't want to fail my brothers. And I hope that when I'm with them in those environments, you know, this is one thing that I fear at times is that that focus can maybe detract from or be taken as standoffish and, you know, at the expense of actually BSing with guys and getting to know them. I mean, we've done plenty of events together. Um, you know, I know that when we start an event, I'm not taking the time that I probably should to, to really uh, engage that brotherhood. Um, well, it comes from that place. It, it, it's unfortunate that that's my, my go-to. I'm, I'm definitely working on that because I, I definitely am here for the brotherhood and I want to want to leave this job with some really strong uh, relationships, right? Some, some friendships that will last a lifetime. Um, but yeah, I, I don't want to let my guys down. So Jeff, um, again, thank you for your service as a veteran in the military. Um, can you share with us, and you've touched on quite a bit already, but uh, what you've taken from the military experience, what you've learned and how it's helped you or hurt you in becoming a firefighter? Well, I... Uh... It's helped a lot with some of the things we've mentioned already with, with getting, getting my focus styled in, um, fulfilling my purpose. Uh, you know, both of those endeavors, fire service and military have, have brought me more value than I'll ever give it. Um, that being said, uh, the military specifically, I found it, it, it really structured it structured me, it disciplined me. Um, before I got in the military, I was a bit reckless. Um, and that was huge. It also, so we're a paramilitary organization. So it really gave me a high respect for rank and following orders. So I've become very obedient, you know, in say 15 years, such to the fact that, um, I don't understand when people look at orders as something that's negotiable or something that can be, you know, whined about or crit criticized, right? Like, um, I hope that I don't ever take on a disposition that my officer has to think twice about giving me an order and, and then maybe thinking like, is this guy gonna follow my orders? I hope never to be that person um, the military helped me realize the weight of the decisions of the officer and uh, the importance of obedience. Um, it sounds 
I know how it sounds, you know, like if you're obedient, does that make you sound like a whip dog or something like that, right? Um, let me give you an example. So when, as far as the importance of obedience, just because I think this might be encouraging for those who are gonna follow orders, even when they're not popular. Uh, so when I was with St. Paul, I had the honor of, of eventually, you know, making captain. And then after probably two years, they, they needed a captain on one of our rescue squads, which also led our aviation rescue team. Um, and that, that was a high risk endeavor. A lot of like helicopter repelling, short haul procedures. Um, it was an honor to be not just a member of it, let alone to, to actually lead the team on my shift for a couple of years. And I knew there was people way smarter than me and I knew there was people way more senior than me. And so I went up to my deputy chief and I asked him, uh, chief, I'm so grateful that you would think this highly of me, but I told him the same thing. I know there's people way smarter than me and way more experienced than me. Um, I don't get it, <laughs> you know? And all he said to me was, Jeff, I've always known I could count on you. And that was that. And you like, I don't need a paycheck anymore when a guy treats me like that, right? Like that's literally what I would work for. You know, if I could take care of my family in another way, if a guy just shows you the respect that you are working your tail off for, um, again, the fulfillment, right? So that was straight from obedience. I tried to I tried to do what I thought the organization would want me to do in most of my steps throughout the day. We all have little um, exceptions we probably take, whether it's uniform or something, right? But by and far, um, yeah, obedience. I, I learned a lot of that from the military and, and you know, mental resilience and actually putting up with the suck, if you will, because sometimes life really sucks in the military. and. Um, like I, I understand nowadays that most of the stuff we do in the fire service, it's really not that bad. Uh, and there is some bad days here too. Right. But, uh, yeah, the military taught me about, uh, you know, sitting out in a rainstorm, digging a foxhole and living in it for a couple, you know, a couple of weeks or whatever it may be. Thank you. Yeah. All right, Jeff. So you were you were a captain in St. Paul uh, before you you made the move over to Milwaukee. Um, so what um, what did you wish that you knew uh, before you started over in Milwaukee? Hmm. What did I wish that I knew more when I was in St. Paul? Correct. So I started researching this when I went to, while I was in St. Paul, because I was so confused about the struggle with change in the fire service and the influence of culture. I was so confused by this and perplexed and, and honestly, like just failing miserably at times and trying to make a positive influence. Uh, when I felt like there was some things that needed to be addressed. Um, leadership is a burden 
and uh, not not everybody carries it, you know, as easily as some. Uh, so I, I had a hard time carrying that sucker. Um, and so part of it was, was cultural. Uh, a lot, a, another part of it also was just the, the change dynamics and change is definitely a struggle. So uh, I realized that a little bit as I was uh, making the transition because I studied it in, in, um, to get my graduates. But when I, when I got to Milwaukee, I saw, like, I saw it from a new lens. Everything that is done in our fire service is largely impacted by culture. Uh, it's literally, when you're a new member into an organization, you value mostly what the organization values, the people around you, you take on their values, unless you're like one of the most strong-willed people, you know, in that community, you will take on the values of the community um, to a certain degree, right? But it has such a big influence. And if you counter that, uh, it's, a, it's definitely a precarious thing to do. So those, the cultural inputs are critical also to the makeup of the firefighter. I think, I think a, a leader in any organization would do well to pay real close attention to the culture of his or her fire department and start considering how that's impacting the outcomes they're looking for. I can't tell you all the ins and outs on how to maybe change it, but to start being aware of it is a very good uh, you know, first step. Also the, the people around you, like, so this was also a huge for me is, so, so I was very blessed, my, I'm still very blessed right now. I'm a, I've been putting some really great assignments and my only goal is to become a great fireman and, and coming to Milwaukee, that's, that's the, the same goal. So as I'm walking that path, I know that I must be in the presence of other great firemen if I'm to like get that influence because culture is huge, right? And the people around you help make up who you are. They influence you. What type of influence do you want? I've seen you know, firemen that I thought were, I'd say me mediocre, but when they were put around other great firemen, their game elevated exponentially. Um, I mean, I, I could talk about uh, guys on, on truck nine, uh, my friend Doc, great senior man. Uh, I can't say enough about that guy and how he led me and influenced me to be a better fireman. I owe him a lot. There's a couple other senior men there, Todd, Jeff, and that's in the last names, but well, they're the gatekeepers to the standard. Like it's it's actually brotherhood, because at one point, one of my one of those men I mentioned, actually probably all of them had challenged me at, at different points. At one point, they told me we're on a roof together training, and they, they like put down the saw. You know, mind you, what was happening to me in that moment was I was getting a little. 
I was trying to show him how competent I was, right? So I lost my discipline and my ego started taking over. So I started getting a little flippant with the saw and maneuvering it around in a, you know, in an environment where I, I shouldn't have been and doing it in a manner I shouldn't have been doing. And he called me out and I got better. That's brotherhood, man. Like not afraid to call me out. And I would imagine the same thing happened to him. Because where do those behaviors come from? You know, he's, he's a nice guy, right? I mean, like, but at the same time, he knows when to put his foot down. So those behaviors, I think, come from a culture that breeds competence. Uh, I think it also comes from a culture that establishes brotherhood. Jeff, you had a show on fire engineering for a long time called The Senior Man. Uh, for those who haven't checked it out before, please do. Uh, but in The Senior Man, you got a chance to sit down and chat with some of the unicorns in the fire service, uh, namely Shoop and Pressler. Why do you feel it's so important to listen to the senior men and women uh, on the job? Yeah. Uh, well, just, just like I said, they're the gatekeepers to the standard. They're also the fire services user manual. So we don't know what we don't know. It, it's, uh, we have a consistent blind spot. It's called our bias. We have a bias on how we interpret everything. And then it, we don't even know it until we make the next mistake. And then we're like, oh, I guess I'm gonna have to create a new slide for this factor. Cause I really thought I had this dialed in uh, based on every other experience that I've had, which isn't much actually, right? So it, to me, they're, they're the critical component that can elevate you to the best version of you. Kind of like I just mentioned, how do I put myself around people that are constantly better than me so that they can show me the ways that I, I'm inferior? And once I can accept and, and humble myself to listen to them, I might, I might be able to get a fraction of what they have. So I, uh, when I was, it's funny you mentioned unicorns, because when I started looking for mentors, um, some of the things I noticed, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk up both Jeff Shoup and Bob Pressler. Like one, one of the things I noticed was, like I didn't hear a lot about Bob Pressler. I mean, he's out there, obviously, but I didn't hear a lot about him. And I didn't, I don't know, for whatever reason at the time, I was very curious to what this salty dog had to offer because he looked like he was a very experienced mentor. And then I went and, and trained with him. And uh, I could hear the insights flowing out of him when he would talk about the fire ground. Um, and so I was like, he has so many more slides than me that I, we need to get his voice a bigger platform. And the same with Shoop. And, and I, I mean, we heard that from one of our greats, uh, Aaron Fields with Nozzle Forward and Shoop being one of his mentors. It's the same thing. You know, these gentlemen uh, not only have been there and done that, but they, they have enough passion to continually put in blue collar work to make us better. Um, 
you know, when, when our, our first uh, Fire Nuggets uh, affiliate event in Minnesota, we had a truck company culture. And, you know, I invited Bob and amongst other people, Mike Lombardo, Bob Kressler, um, you know, Sean Donovan, and um, my friend from uh, Albany. Why can't I? Can't Chris Cummings. Chris Cummings. Thank you. Sorry, Chris. It's been, it's been too long, brother. Um, all great dudes. Chris, by the way, I kept seeing at different conferences, you know, kindred spirits right there. Um, so we have these guys come up. Well, one of the things I noticed about Bob and, and I totally didn't expect, like I was so, um, self-conscious about the training environment I was about to put him in like the nastiest, uh, vacants I could find. Like I could only get a hold of certain vacants and they were nasty. They were really run down and beat up and smelly. And I was like, I'm bringing Bob Pressler and Michael Lombardo out here and the rest of the guys from the East coast. Um, and they're going to, they're going to hate me, you know, cause this is the training environment that I'll, all I could afford. Right. Those guys got off the plane and were literally asking me, what do you need done next? And crawling in an attic and on a roof, a stinky attic, and uh, they looked like they were in heaven uh, and doing work in, in July, like hard labor to help us get this thing off the ground. I was very impressed with them. And Shoop has done the same things. So to me, that again is the spirit of brotherhood and why it's so important to find like-minded people who have those values so that we can continue spreading them. That's gonna entice people more in my opinion um to follow like truly follow not just listen but to actually walk in the same shoes so jeff uh you started in a fire nuggets affiliate some years ago what inspired you to do this so at the time i was i was starting to see uh what I would call a gap in the standard of care. Uh, I was realizing that the way that I was taught things like search and vent and ladders, truck company work, um, was, not, was not anywhere close to the possible standard of care we could execute. And it's the same with engine company ops. Right. That took me a little longer as I started going down the path to realize like all these gaps in the standard of our care, how we execute it on the fire ground. We have opportunities to shape events and change the nature of them. Well, when you start realizing that your shaping efforts are less than optimal and you love your job and you take pride in who you are. It really motivates the hell out of you to do whatever you can to change that. So that's what happened to me is I started seeing so many more different means to get better. And I saw the gap and I was like, how can I, how can I help influence this for the betterment of not only the citizens, but for the, the people that are taking up this noble profession, we all come in into the job wanting to make a difference. There's no doubt about that. So it's like, how do you make it possible though? There's so much friction to actually execute high quality training. It's actually getting less now, but 
at the time, it seemed like there was a lot of friction to execute this type of training with the budgets and, and uh, you know, all the, all the politics and I could go on and on, right? Um, so that, that was the motivation and, and you know, well, Nick was involved with us on another event shortly after that. So we started, uh, we started looking to make an impact. And, you know, I'm, I'm proud that, you know, any efforts we do by all of us actually, right? We're all affiliates of Fire Nuggets. Um, so I, I think it's a noble endeavor that in itself. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think it's, it's funny doing these conferences, doing these classes, getting uh, fire nuggets across the country and in places that we never thought would ever happen and having the people that we do being a part of this organization, um, looking back, you know, I think that's a, that's a common trend to hear. Well, how do I make a difference? You know, I want change. I want, I want this, I want that. And when, when people come out to these trainings, they're like, this is incredible. Like the fact that you can, you can pull this off and it's way before any of us, but what it is, it's, it's us continuing and getting people involved. And it's, I think it's looking back at it at now, it's like, we did find a way, you know, and there are opportunities for people to be able to continue this. And I think it's an incredible thing to be a part of. And, and you've done that. And I think you can sit here today and say that you have, you've made an impact, a positive one. And there's even brighter future ahead. Yeah. So I thank you on behalf of Fire Nuggets too for taking that on and, and, and pursuing and getting guys like Nick involved and Jeff, Brian, and um, yeah, you are you've been an inspiration to this organization so yeah we all bear a responsibility to make it better than it was before we leave it right so um that that actually is like one of the most uh passionate things that i do is like when we do put on an event um i just love it it it, it speaks to my soul and you can see the difference it happening in guys ability to do the job which is a life-saving endeavor right like you can see it in real time and, and then you put down some sweat with them and uh you know the work brings it brings cohesion harmony purpose right it's awesome all right <clears throat> um for school you wrote a paper about combat ineffectiveness, uh, research led to take a pretty hard line on quantifying how long it should take for a fire department to do knockdown and search of a residential structure fire. <clears throat> um, if we remember correctly, uh, you were right at about six minutes for that goal. Can you talk a little bit uh, about that and uh, how we should view that on the fire ground? Yeah, absolutely. So. I learned a lot writing this paper. And so the six minutes was, you know, I derived that from, um, you know, the, the rescue survey uh, effort and push. So that, that is great push. Um, we do need to quantify our wins, uh, fully supporting that, supporting that effort. Um, 
fully supporting the search call for, can't speak, the search culture effort. So my goal though, in that paper was to, the, a lot of the naysayers that at least I was exposed to at that time were talking about how much more risk we're creating in searching without a line or whether it's VES or not meaning, remaining in physical contact during a search or venting, like venting became, uh, like venting became a timid procedure. So I was like, well, what, these, these are aggressive acts on the fire ground. So, you know, I wanted to find out how, how much are they hurting us versus how much potential impact are they having at saving lives, which is the mission. So the six minutes is what I came up with. The first six minutes are critical to have, to optimize the event for the victim. I would argue to optimize the event for us as well. Because as, as uh, our brother Aaron Fields would say, if it's good for them, it's good for us, right? We know that. So the first six minutes is critical for us to vent the structure, get the searches done, water on the fire. No particular order. Those are the things we need to get done. Water, cool it, clear it, and get the smoke out. Vent it, right? So that seems like the winning formula. How you get there, the fire service wants to clear out all the uncertainties. It wants to mitigate the risk. And we start taking our risk mitigation is coming at the expense of the mission. Because we can't, we can't have the writ established. We can't have the supply established. We can't have the second line stretched. And those other three things I just mentioned, unless we're resource heavy. And oh, by the way, we're not. We're not, I mean, we're, we're still cutting rigs left and right if, if you're in the same fire service as me. So how do we get that done in six minutes? It means we have to be more aggressive. And I wanted to know, all right, I wanted to be able to have a conversation not only with myself, but with other people about that fact and speak somewhat intelligently about it. Um, Yes, more, more civilians are dying past the six minute mark than, than are living. Um, Nick could probably tell you a lot more stats on that. But at that time, I was thinking more than 50% of people that are pulled out of structures, victims, fire victims, are turning to fatalities uh, once it's past the six minute mark of your arrival on the scene. So you got work to do and the mission is at hand. So for me, I'm gonna make some exceptions to my personal safety to get my six minutes done right. And that's what I learned in the paper. Very well spoken right there. I think that transitions really well um, and maybe not so overtly to a lot of people, but I think this transition really well to something that I wanna ask you. The last couple of conversations that we've had have been maybe less focused on on kind of the how we do stuff and a little bit more so on the cerebral aspect and kind of the why we do stuff. And that's kind of what we focused on a lot so far in our questions here. But when we talk about our psychology, 
how important is ideology and mindset and mental attitude in becoming a high performer? Yeah, it's critical. It, it's, uh, it's the foundation. You, you will act in a manner to support your beliefs. So that, that, was, uh, that was something I've been talking about. So you had mentioned and gave me a lot of compliments. Um, well-deserved or not, I don't know. But you, know, you mentioned, where's the discipline come yep. from? Yeah, where's the discipline come from? Well, it comes from my philosophy, my attitude, my mindset, um, the purpose, the ideology, what, what's important to me. So there's a lot of inertia that is always it's omnipresent, right? There's always fear. There's always something to prevent you from doing the right thing. There's always an easier route. We all know this and we can all take it anytime. The easy route. Uh, with the proper philosophy, you'll understand that if you make sacrifices in the moment, today, well, the benefits are greater later, completely. Like it's not even close. Uh, but so you have to adopt this belief. There is gonna be a victim. I'm gonna be the one. If I don't believe that, I won't act in that manner. I won't go out and drag that dummy around and make sure that I can do a low drag solo in a high heat condition. And that I'm gonna stick regardless. Because when you're in that condition, there's one thing that's going to be tugging at you at your mind. And that's to get out, not worth it. And if your philosophy in the past was, can't wait for my pension. If your philosophy in the past lacked in your, your servitude, your, uh, your purpose, you're not going to lead with your heart because you didn't establish it. You'll do what's expedient for self-preservation. You, you won't stick with the mission. That's my belief. I, you know, I'm talking with uh, and doing that paper, um, seeing other people's behaviors over the, over the years in combat and in fire combat, feel like I see that played out. It, it's hard to describe, but we have to get our minds right. It, it's not every day, you know, that, that's, that's the fool's gold of, of runs. So if, and mind you, that here's another thing I experienced actually that I should bring up is if you're going to fires on a, a routine basis, those companies, they talk a lot different about the job than companies that have less fire duty. I've been on both. Um, I watch a lot of behaviors. I don't want to get this wrong. So I want to take on the right behaviors and learn from those around me. Companies that go to a lot of fires are pretty damn intentional about what they're doing. Um, so what's the difference? What if you don't go to a lot of fires? Well, you have to have the mindset now. 
it doesn't matter that you don't go to a lot of fires. It shouldn't influence your behavior. You have purpose. That should influence your behavior, not the reality, because reality is, and, and we know this, there's volunteer, I was a volunteer company, uh, I was a member of volunteer companies, but they're making saves too. They'll, they'll at times admonish the, the efforts that some will put in and say that's over the top. And yet I know they'll wish that they were a little bit more over the top when they encounter that victim. So this next question, uh, basically rolling right in from the last one, but you specifically, when you're en route to a fire, what are, what are you thinking? What are you processing? And what are you processing once you get there during the firefight? And then after, after everything's been done, um, what do you think about? We talk about to our listeners, some that might be sitting here thinking like, what's the mindset? And you kind of already touched on it a little bit, but what's the mindset to have when I'm going to these fires and whether they're far or few in between? So uh, on the day of execution, so that mindset I was just describing was more for uh, leading up. Right. That's that's like your day, your shift. You come on shift, you have the mindset of preparedness. Members of combat should always be conditioning themselves for the next engagement. That's straight out of MCDP one military, our greatest, you know, the Marines, uh, I shouldn't say military, United States Marine Corps, the greatest, the world's greatest fighting force. That's their mantra. It should be ours as well. So you know, that's what you think about before the fight. When the fight is, has arrived, it's time to focus. Um, so for me, you know, obviously you're checking, your, you're checking the size up. The tones drop. You're thinking, what's the address? What, what are typical layouts? What's, what am I going to be getting into? residential in this area, I know my layouts. I start thinking about the high target areas. I think I start thinking about the likely fire condition in that type of a building. As I'm getting dressed, I'm focused on my dress out. I'm focused on getting my, getting my hood on right. So that's a quick deployment when it's mask up time. I'm focused on getting my radio set. And I, I'm a, I'm a, I used to be a baseball player. So I always take this mantra that I take that one task and I focus on it till it's complete. Now, I, I do lose discipline as well on this when I rush. It comes at the expense of performance normally. So if I decide to rush my hood, it's almost inevitable that the hood's going to look all jacked up when I try to deploy it. Uh, if I say, yeah, I'll catch my radio at a different time. Most of the time I never catch my radio and then I might miss vital traffic, right? So you stick with the routine. That's what a baseball player does. You see them all doing their weird habits with, uh, with their gloves, they're tapping their, uh, their spikes and all that. That's to get them in the mode. So you have to stick with those habits to get you through uh, the event. And then you focus on the ball, right? Like when I was a baseball player, Literally, like once I got through all my habits and I understood the situation, my size up, 
see the ball. So when you get to the fire, see the fire. Like there's going to be a lot of things that distract us always. This is like, this to me is the crux of our job is to actually tune out what doesn't matter and figure out what doesn't matter. That takes a long time to be like, I need to focus on a few key aspects of this. So when I get on scene at, at this point, I've been fully dressed out. All right. I got my radio set. I, if I'm, uh, if I'm going to be doing the stretch, I'm looking at the obstacles and I'm looking for the path. Once I find the obstacles in the path, you estimate the stretch and you shoulder the, you shoulder the load, right? Well, at this point now, it's all about seeing the ball or in our case, the fire. Where is the fire? What, it's, what it is its condition and what is the route there? Because we're going to be losing our senses real quick, right? So every step you have to, you have to do it in training and yet you have to try to do it on every fire because you're going to start skipping steps and then you're going to have, well, you're going to have unpredictable results and then you'll have to get into adapt mode, which hopefully you've drilled enough to be good in adapt mode. But the less that you have to adapt, just like the less you have to adapt your swing in baseball, the more pure your swing is, the less effort you have to put in it to hit it out of the park. It's amazing, right? I used to think about that. I was like, I barely even swung that bat, but it freaking flew. Same thing with, with the fire service. We had, we had a firefighter on Milwaukee who has been a legend. He retired before I got there, but I keep hearing about this guy, right? And the, the key thing they said about him was everything he did was effortless. Can you imagine that? Like, you know, especially when you're getting into your 50s or whatever, because he was a career fireman. Everything he did was effortless. And it was because the anticipation and the smoothness in which he executed, I bet you he's very disciplined. In fact, one of the guys also mentioned that he didn't take a day off from the gym. So it kind of proved to me that he was disciplined. Um, so I think if we get in those right habits and start executing them and training on the, each fire ground, uh, you just, you ask as well, like after the fire, what do you, what do you do? Um, so arriving, we talked about that and route, we talked about that. One thing I missed on in route is I do try to tense up my muscles a bit and, you know, hit, the, hit all the muscle groups. I'm getting older and, uh, you know, got to get some blood flowing, especially if you got a 3 a.m. job and you're, you're cold, you're you know what I mean? Like things are going to start um, having a, a possibility to tweak. So you tense up your muscles, try to get your breathing right. Like for me, if I get off the rig and I'm not breathing, if I don't find a breathing pattern, I'll get behind in my breathing when the workload and the stress start mounting. And that's going to add more moral inertia onto me. So get your breathing and you know right while you can. Maybe encourage the guy next to you a little bit before you head out. Hey, you know we got this. Um, after the fire, I'm always thinking about what I could have improved upon. I'm looking at every aspect of that scene that I can, and I'm trying to understand where my biases were false where my efforts were wasted and what I can do on the next one. I, we had a, we had a, 
it wasn't a nothing fire yesterday, but we had a fire that was, um, it spread to maybe two rooms tops. And I found like at least five things that I needed to improve upon. Nothing went wrong as far as like, you know, the typical metrics go, nobody got hurt. And uh, there was no victims that, um, there was no victims. The fire did go out in, in a pretty optimal time frame. But I thought, well, there's a couple things I need to work on. And then I started listening to other guys talk about their efforts. And I started thinking about if I was in their shoes, what could have I done a little bit better from their, you know, from their experience? I have to live through other people's experiences so I can maximize the event. Because context is what we're missing in most of our training. Sets of reps are great on props, but when you don't have the context, again, you never find your biases. And I think you struggle to improve outside of the skill set, which is kind of the mental game, the adaptive and creative game. That was excellent. <clears throat> um, so what, as the American Fire Service, do you feel we are doing correctly? And what do you feel that we are doing wrong? Tough question. Uh, so let me just start out and say like, what we're doing correctly, we're here. This is a noble profession. I mean, let's just think about how demoralizing it can be. You get off the rig with 50 to 80 pounds of gear on you to start. You're only, your body's only cooling mechanism. You don't get it because we got to encapsulate you with oven mitts, right? You're pretty much in an oven mitt. And then we're going to stick you in the oven. And oh, by the way, as you're making your push down that oven, we're turning out the lights. It's pretty demoralizing if you ask me, because at some point you're probably going to be isolated in there, right? Or you can't find your crew. So what are we doing correctly? We're showing up. Even despite possible issues in leadership across the board, which I didn't help much either as a leader. So if you're a leader and you think I'm criticizing you, I criticize myself well as well. Leadership is very, um, it's probably the most complex dynamic there is, right? So we're showing up and we're trying to do the right thing. We're drilling more. I mean, we have uh, conferences all over the nation. Um, I'm encouraged by the current pulse. What are we doing? What can we do better? So uh, the, the encouragement part is, is actually what I would say we could do better. What I mentioned to you guys already was that this is a demoralizing fight. It absolutely is. I think that's why we're drawn to it. The challenge is such that we feel like we're up to it and it's fulfilling. It brings value because it's also for life. However, I think at times we tend to judge each other too much. And I think at times we, we, uh, we create moral inertia to compound the demoralizing event 
how many times have you guys been on the fire ground where part of your effort was distracted about how you felt you looked in front of your peers on a force or on a on a line movement or in whatever endeavor you may have felt that guys are going to be uh ripping on me for this one so i better i better do this or i better do that that has no place on the fire ground when you're in mission mode but yet everybody i talk to at least that's being honest has mentioned having these type of feelings right there you go you talk about feelings right uh but it's true we our judgment and lack of encouragement at times starts to bring down bring us down maybe even more in an already demoralizing atmosphere so what, what are what are some of the counterweights to menace danger and uncertainty harmony cohesion will to fight the initiative like that those are our keys if we can encourage each other through that human spirit of the will to fight and i've seen us do some great things when that doesn't happen i see us struggle including myself i see us getting distracted and making things harder with all the gear and all the extra effort that goes into it, we now have to deal with our internal problems in the event. I really like that encouragement answer to that question. I think when I reflect back on some of the best coaches that I've had, that's something that they offered um, and can tap into that, that some of my, my less than ideal coaches, um, at least from my perspective, uh, we're tapping into quite as well. You know where I, I thought about that the most, uh, Nick? Uh, and I'm going to bring this up because I brought it up a couple times to a few people in my walks, and I felt like it helped them. So I mentioned a man earlier in our conversation named Donald. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reference him again. So, and I... I, I, I want to do this because I sometimes forget this lesson, even to this day, that, you know, I still am judgmental of my brothers, right? So Donald wasn't, I was in a scout sniper platoon. Um, and, you know, for a brief, you know, I was a young 27-year-old man, uh, for a brief moment, I thought I was somebody, right? And... Uh, you know, Donald was an infantryman and he was a part of a headquarters unit. And he drove around the brass. To me, as a young 27 year old immature soldier, you know, I thought I was a, a little higher on the food chain. And so I didn't, I never criticized him openly, but I certainly didn't encourage him and welcome him in my presence. I regret greatly. So what, what ended up happening that kind of made me understand these moral dyna dynamics, right? So, so Donald would start to fill in for our platoon. When I, our guys, so we were in Iraq, we spent the nine months in Balad and then we spent like three months in Mosul. So our platoon 
uh, was tasked with a lot of missions where we got to go in and do fulfill our job. Where we are, you know, going outside the wire and hunting down insurgents. I was so honored to be a part of this group and, and learn so much from them. So Donald wanted to serve as well. The same spirit we have when we when we got in this job, right? Same thing, soldier though. So you would. He would fill in for our guys when they went on furlough. And I, again, I didn't embrace him. I didn't encourage him. I kind of looked at him like thinking, why does he think he can roll with us? Because we're somebody. I'm somebody, right? Ah, uh, man. He was ignorant. You know, Donald gave his life for this country, and I saw it. And I thought at that, like, and I still think to this day, I never gave him what probably all he ever wanted. Acceptance and encouragement amongst the brotherhood. Wasn't even that hard for me to give. But of, because of my own ego, I never gave that to him. And now I never will. All I can do is to try to work in a manner and live in a manner to fulfill his honor. So... When I think about our fire service, we do have to have some egos about us. We do hard work. It's demoralizing. And we do have to have a cavalier attitude at times to be aggressive and bold. But not at the expense of the brotherhood, in my opinion. Not at the expense of encouraging each other and seeking the best in each other and, and sharpening each other. That was really powerful. I appreciate you you uh, letting us all hear that, and I've always appreciated your authenticity. So thank you. If you had a crystal ball and you could see into the future, what would fire service training look like in ten to twenty years? Do you think? Oh, well, I really hope that we we find this medium of safety and effectiveness most of the drills that i've learned the most from is where i failed now i'm guilty of this too as an instructor a lot of drills that i do with the troops inherently i know they'll succeed but eventually we have to create enough stress to create some failures because that is the fire ground. That is the nature of your combat zone. Sometimes we, we don't optimize the event. We have to create better conditions that match our fire ground and, and we have to stress the system because that's where the system starts to adapt. It's no different than a muscle. If, it's amazing to me in my 20s, I can lift more now physically, I'm not bragging about it, but I can lift more now physically than I could in my 20s. How is that possible? Well, I probably lack the motivation and the, and the philosophy and the mindset that I have now in my 20s, but I also lack the means. And the means is, is I, I didn't like um, maxing out because I knew I would have to drop the weight. 
And I didn't like the thought of dropping the weight. Well, now I drop the weight from time to time because I'm pushing myself to the next to the next level that of my potential. That what's my personal potential? We need to do that as a, as a brotherhood from time to time so that we can learn to adapt to a new level of performance because that's what happens to your muscles when they're stressed to that level is they adapt and they reach a new level of performance. It's no different in any other realm, whatever your conditioning. So I would like to see us find that way and stop, not restrict so much of our, our uh, standards and training, especially in live fire training, that we can't help push our brotherhood to the next level of performance. Mitigation efforts are coming at the expense of the mission. And we're losing the initiative. All right, Jeff, so you've attended a lot of conferences and classes over your fire service career, and you're very well read. Um, what is the best conference and class and book that you've ever partook in? That is, that is tough. So I got to say that Fire Department Training Network uh, does a, a phenomenal job at force-on-force -force combat, you against the fire. Um, it's not necessarily a conference, but they do, in my estimation, some of the best drills to really help you understand some of the things that we just talked about. Um, you know, when you're in a fire condition where you feel a high level of uncertainty and there's friction in that event that you're not sure if you can overcome, you grow. So there's many conferences out there that really help you fine tune skill sets. Uh, nozzle forwards is great. Uh, you know, the relative superiority, you know, how many truck uh, classes are out there that are great. I mean, there, I could mention quite a few. We all know that we have some great resources in this, in this craft and we know their names. They're, they're all traveling the country and making us better, no doubt about it. Um, but I do think we need to stress the system a little bit more in that light. Um, so I, I would say the fire department training network uh, does a spectacular job of creating an environment for growth. Um, what class? Well, was that a, was that a good, is that what you're looking for, I guess, on that? Yeah, of course. Yeah, you touched on it. FDTN, definitely. Um, what, what book would you recommend to our listeners? Book is the most impactful. There's a lot out there. It depends on what you're, what you're seeking growth in. I think an impactful one, and it's funny because I, I actually have gone back to this a, a lot to understand the nature. To me, it's critical. Like there, if you want just straight information, 
I, I would steer you a different route. But sometimes too much information starts to cloud the system. But if I get a sense for the nature of myself, for the nature of the enemy, and for the nature of the environment, I'm gonna I'm gonna start to inherently do the right things in the right moments because I, I can sense the event. I think a book that it, it, it's not even a book, it's it's the Marine Corps. Uh, doctrine publication one war fighting it's their philosophy on war and how they will conduct themselves as a fighting unit uh, based on the nature of combat the nature of war the nature of man if we can like understand how like if we can take those principles and apply them to our conflict I think it's a great foundation for getting the right mindset, which as we've discussed earlier, I'm a huge believer in that. Um, there's many other books that are going to help you grow in different domains, but I don't know that you'll have the quality or longevity in those domains and, and really attacking them without the right philosophy to start. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so as we kind of wrap this up, um, my understanding is that you have uh, started a new endeavor called Maneuver Fire Response. Um, you kind of tell us what your goals are, what you guys are doing, and how we can find out more information. Yeah. Thanks for bringing it up, Jeff. Uh, so on that note, MCDP1 established maneuver warfare as the new fighting philosophy for the Marine Corps. I'm, I'm no original. I'm, I'm, I'm literally looking to utilize their ideas in certain manners and their philosophy and apply them to combat in our, in our domain. So maneuver fire response is looking to do just that. What, what is that, what's the outcome we're looking to seek? I'll start with the objective. We're looking to influence the minds of firefighters and develop them so that we can gain a belief as a, as a service that the mind of the firefighter is the greatest asset on the fire ground. Each firefighter's ability to reshape the event to optimal, when you multiply that, it fuels the mission. So how, how are we going to do that? Well, we talked about the senior man earlier, the user manual, the, the standard keeper, the gatekeeper of standards of the fire service. We're going to use the senior men in our, in our ranks to help guide us and coach us through the context of our domain. So decision-making is, is a huge platform that we don't engage in enough. We do a lot of tactics training, which again is, is foundational. We need to do that. But sometimes we don't look at the context. Often we don't look at the context. So we wanna add com context and complexity. And we wanna do thought exercises with the senior man guiding us and putting people on the hot seat 
doing what we call decision-making exercises so that they can grow their minds and their mindset and develop a philosophy that'll eventually allow them to be more aggressive on the fire ground and have a bias of action. So now the more firefighters we have seeking the initiative and acting aggressively, said it earlier, the better we shape the event and change the nature of it from life killing to life saving, from destructive to tenable. We all know the tactics and the tasks, and I know them too. I've been drilling for a while now, but sometimes I don't execute. Why? Because sometimes the complexity catches me off guard. I didn't know how to execute in this circumstance optimally. So I made a mistake and, I, and that stressed the system and then I grew, right? Well, maybe we don't have to always wait for those experiences on the fire ground. Maybe we can create the fire ground context in an exercise and have the senior man guide us from his slide tray, which is much more broad and deep than mine. Um, and so we're creating that environment online. We're, we're uh, kicking it off here in the next week. There'll probably be some growing pains, but we're gonna have some decision-making exercises with some senior men in our service. We're trying to make them fairly affordable uh, and, and see if, if it'll help people be more aggressive on the fire ground, take more action and fulfill their mission. I'm really stoked to see how this maneuver fire response um, kind of plays out. Uh, I'm really excited for this. I think that couldn't have a better guy doing this and I'm excited to see uh, what kind of fruit this bears. I, I love how you guys are focusing on kind of the most important six inches on the fighter ground uh, to steal a phrase or to paraphrase uh, General Mattis, but the, the six inches between someone's ears, um, I think that's often neglected. So I, I'm excited for this opportunity and can't wait to see what, what comes of it. We've been going now for, I don't even know, a little over an hour, hour and 10, 15 minutes, probably uh, quite a bit longer than we were expecting to. Uh, so I think we're kind of wrap this up. Jeff, is there anything before we wrap up that you want to, you want to add in here? No, I, I, like I said, I'm very grateful and honored that you guys asked me to, to, um, you know, have this conversation and brotherhood and uh, yeah, I, I thank you for the opportunity and look forward to doing more work with you guys here in the future. Well, perfect. Uh, one more time for anyone listening, maneuverfireresponse.com is where you can find out more information about uh, MFR and, for, uh, and about Jeff uh, Rothmeyer. Thank you, Joey. Thank you, Jeff. And uh, thank you, El Jefe. We appreciate all your guys' time. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.